There's a reason why in Florida, professional wrestling was deemed an essential business. Because it kicks ass. This is Heel Turns and Headlocks. And this is Bear DiGiulio and Brian LaPrey. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Heel Turns and Headlocks podcast. I am your co-host, the lesser of the two, Brian LaPrey, and with me today, as always, the star of the show, the one and only Ricochet, Bear DiGiulio. You're too, you're too nice when it comes to these intros. Like Everybody knows you do like 95.5% of the work, and I do <laughs> not that fucking much, so thank you, though. Thank you for that. Well, thank you for the compliment as well. And uh, welcome, everybody. Uh, I know it's been a little while, but we're back. It hasn't really been that long. It's been a few days, but feels like so long. Corona time passes strange. Uh, we are here today because we, like many others, read comments made by the one and only good old JR, Jim Ross, obviously legendary WWE commentator, now an AEW commentator, uh, decades of experience in professional wrestling. He's seen it all. He had a comment recently that maybe rubbed some people the wrong way, but we felt also sparked a pretty cool conversation where he talked about basically the rules and how the rules feed into faces and heels and things of that nature. And, you know, we figured, why don't we try our hand at this discussion? God, that would probably mean I should talk because I should say something. <laughs> we are off to a great start here. We so, are. Uh, Jim Ross said uh, that <clears throat> I'm going to quote him here. The issue is not everybody in AEW listens. They think that some things in the industry suck. We don't have tag ropes anymore because some of our crew think it's lame. I think it's bullshit. Heels need rules to break. That last sentence in particular is really what we wanted to discuss on this episode, right? Yeah. Um, to further elaborate on JR's point, or to further quote JR on his point, he said, you need shortcuts to gain an unfair advantage. It's just common sense. It is basic human instincts. The heels, when they get out and wrestle, they cheat. It's never changed. It's not going to change. Most of them listen in and are appreciative. Appreciative, Jim Ross would continue. I can tell when their eyes go off the topic. If I'm talking to you and you ain't looking at me in the eye, you ain't listening. So why should I waste my breath? So there's a lot to unpack there, right? Especially considering JR has been doing this since 1974, (laughs) which if my math is correct, which it should be because of my calculator, 46 years. (laughs) He's been around the block a couple times. He's actually responsible for many big signings in wrestling, right? In particular with WWE, obviously when he was the talent scout there. Yeah. You know, he, for as weird as he might be on Twitter, he knows what the fuck he's talking about when it comes to pro wrestling, right? Yeah. Uh, Look, JR, whether you agree with his statement, disagree with his statement, whether you liked his commentary or his signings, 
or whatever else he does, his barbecue sauce, his books, whatever, however you feel about him. What's undeniable is that the man has had a ringside seat for 46 years of professional wrestling, and a vast majority of that time has been spent with the biggest promotions in the industry. He was with Jim Crockett Promotions, which obviously became WCW. He was with the WWF slash WWE. He was there through the 80s with Hogan and Macho Man. He was there through the 90s with Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. He was there through the late 90s and early 2000s with Rock and Austin. He was there for John Cena, Triple H, The Undertaker, etc., etc., etc. He obviously went on to call matches for New Japan Pro Wrestling. He did a lot of stuff on the independent circuit. I know he was with What Culture Pro Wrestling for a few appearances. And, of course, he's now with AEW safe to say that Jim Ross has had a better seat for wrestling than most any of us. So, whether or not you agree with his stance on this, I think that it is a valid stance to discuss because of the person that it's coming from, somebody who knows a little something about being around a live crowd and also looking at television ratings and being a part of the show. And I guess where we'll start here is, you know, we, we're not going to worry too much about, you know, how he feels about some people in AEW listening and not listening. That's another conversation for another day. Mm-hmm. For us, what this is really about is the idea that heels need rules to break and you need shortcuts to gain an unfair advantage. And Bear, I think that the ultimate starting point really is just looking at it and saying, or at least asking the question, and you can start to answer it because I like putting pressure on you for things. Uh, are there still a need, or is there still a need for faces and heels in professional wrestling, or does it really kind of vary on the company? I like the way you put the pressure on me because pressure creates diamonds or burst pipes or some shit. I don't know what the fuck the quote Our is. Pipes are bursting. My pipes are. Oh, that sounds beautiful. <laughs> um. So everybody knows, obviously, that professional wrestling, while the word fake is a big no-no, I think still needs, you know, obviously there's characters all across the board, right? Characters are so important in the world of wrestling, even still. There's no characters like The Undertaker anymore. We acknowledge that. There's no characters like Kane anymore, for example. Everybody's kind of doing their own thing, unless you're a guy like Seth Rollins who has that godlike complex, right? Yeah. The reason why I bring that up is because it's important to note that a guy, let's say, let's use Seth Rollins, at, Seth Rollins as an example. A guy like Seth Rollins, I can't wait. Like, usually I can't wait to watch him get his ass kicked. Which means he's doing a good job as a heel. I feel like it's still super important in this day and age to have faces and heels. Obviously, there's some characters where I guess you can kind of tread that line right yeah like you look at you look at the aew roster and it's it's obviously you know Brody lee is a heel right yeah cash wheeler and you know the ftr their heels the inner circle heels brian cage heel you think there's actually a lot of fucking heels on this roster my point is (laughs) you know you got to have a good guy though like cody is a good cody not Rhodes. we can't say cody Rhodes, right but cody good guy Hulk cabana good guy darby allen despite looking like you know Jeff Hardy. Yeah, Jeff Hardy's a good guy too. My point is like it's important to still have those kind of characters in wrestling, right? Yeah. So with that, I feel like what JR is saying here, it's 
you know, it's still, it's super important that while not every match needs heels to cheat to win, right? Because there's guys like MJF who, MJF as an example, who he can easily use Wardlow to his advantage. Sometimes he doesn't. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to because again, you wanna you wanna build these guys up as heels, right? But at the yeah. same time, you don't really have to have them cheat all the time to, I guess, make them look believable as heels. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. I, I, look, <laughs> it's it's funny. You know, Cody came out and he, I'm not going to say addressed this because, you know, I, I don't want to say that this was in response to JR because he hasn't said that it's in response to JR, so it's not fair to speculate. But along the same timeline of JR's comments, Cody replied to somebody's statement and or question on Twitter and said, I'm neither face or heel. I'm a competitor and a reigning champion. Tired old tropes are even more insulting to the viewer considering I've been on their TV since I was 20. It ain't black and white. It hasn't been in forever. Circumstances of the match dictate who we cheer for. Beautiful thing. In theory, that's a great thought, right? That That's a... That's an admirable approach to it because you don't need face turns and heel turns. You just kind of present these characters and you try and develop the depth of them. And that's cool. But my counterpoint to that would be the biggest moment of Cody's 2020 or really, I guess, his career in AEW so far was probably that incredible promo, face promo that he cut on MJF. I would argue that the two, I won't say this in terms of star power, but the two characters that probably stand out, at least to me and I think to many people the most, are MJF and Jericho, both clear-cut heels. Brody Lee is a clear-cut heel. You, you know, you understand the negative intentions of all of these people who come out. And in the case of MJF and Jericho, you understand that they're going to use their assistance to their benefit, I guess you could say. And, I mean, you know, Britt Baker. Her career took a turn for the best when she took a turn for the worst and she became a heel. That doesn't mean everybody needs to do this, right? You know, the best friends could go out there and hit you with a low blow and roll you up, and it doesn't have to mean it's a heel turn. I kind of agree with that. I think it puts more pressure creatively creatively on the writing staff i think it puts more pressure on the wrestlers to be better but you also have these wrestlers who i think have i don't want to say risen above the rest because i think that's a little unfair to the rest but you know mjf is a clear-cut heel same thing with lance archer same thing with Brody lee and by the way all three of those guys are top five in the rankings right now Moxley, is he a face? Is he a heel? We don't really know, but the one thing we do know is that he's willing to fight anybody and do anything to win. That's appealing. I think that falls in line with what Cody is saying. But if you're going to have heels, and whether Cody thinks that he's a heel or not, whether he believes it's a tired old trope or not, we're not going to sit here and pretend MJF is not a true heel, right? There's no face quality about him. Am I wrong on that? If there is, I don't see what it is. Because the guy is a classic heel, and that's good. 
And that helped Cody establish himself as probably the best baby face in wrestling today. Now he can do what he wants from there. But I think the point that JR is making is, you know, I know he mentioned the tag rope and we're going to finally dive more directly into this. I know he mentioned the tag rope, but I don't think I think people focused a little too much on that. It's not really about the tag rope. That was just kind of an example. I think the idea is you're making it harder for yourself if you eliminate all the rules, because now you have to do increasingly bastardly things to get over as a heel. And eventually. What worse can you do than somebody else? Sometimes plain old good versus evil is enough to get people excited. And by the way, that tired old trope has been getting people over for decades in professional wrestling. And it continues to get people over in professional wrestling because a truly great heel is somebody that you actually want to see lose. And my personal opinion, I don't know if you agree, Bear, but my personal opinion is one of the things that enhances and also... If you don't have it, I won't say destroys the product, but hurts the product, is the presence or lack thereof of true heels of people that you can't wait to see get their asses kicked. Because I hate to say it, but let's be real. Faces aren't that interesting without a bad guy to go up against. I think that's why guys like, I mean, I know an example of this would be like John Cena, right? the ultimate good guy, even though it became for whatever reason, I was part, you know, I was part of it. It became cool to boo him. Right. Bear was the leader of the C nation fan club. I have a, I have a picture of myself in the, you can't see me shirt. And I'd like, you know, I'm going to go on eBay later and see if they have any in my size now, but never mind that. So (laughs) if you look at, if you look, let's look at a guy like John Cena, for example. Yeah. The reason why he was so, polarizing i guess you could say is because of how popular the feuds the feuds were with a guy like edge who everybody couldn't you know i mean for the most part everybody couldn't wait to see edge get his ass kicked right yeah same with you know i mean cm punk isn't is kind of an anomaly in that regard because of you weren't gonna have chicago boo him for example at that money in the bank show mm-hmm. but like you look at cena's feuds with Randy Orton, Cena's feuds with Triple H, Cena's feuds with even AJ Styles. You know what I mean? Like, you need that good guy to be paired up with that bad guy. And yeah, like, if you guys go on Reddit and you see all these comments about the tag rope, for example, like, it was just that. It was an example. Although, I would like to see FTR kind of use that and kind of, like, bring the tag ropes back and be like, look, we follow the rules, and then they don't follow the rules and then you can kind of clarify the fact that they are heel, right? Yeah. But like, you know, going back to my point, it's not I'm not saying being a face or being a heel in 2020 is a lost art. It kind of is because there's no crowd and it's hard to, you know, it's it's easy for the performance center for example right now to kind of react in the way that Vince McMahon and them want them to react, right? You never know. Right now Bailey and Sasha could be getting cheered in arenas. They wouldn't be, but you know what I'm saying. No. You need you need good versus evil because that's kind of the basis on what professional wrestling professional wrestling has been for the last forever. Yeah. Like you go again, you go down this list on the WWE roster and 
I know there's a there's a lot of guys on this roster, and you can look and like, okay, Adam Cole, heel, right? Yeah. Miles, you know, heel, and I can't wait for that match with Grand Metalik. I think that's a very unique matchup that's coming up next week, I believe. Yeah. You know, again, you look, you go down this whole roster, and you're like, okay, like for I I used Seth Rollins Seth Rollins as an example earlier. This godlike Monday Night Messiah complex thing he's got going on. I can't wait to watch him get his ass kicked. Exactly. I was hoping he'd lose his eye over Rey Mysterio. Yeah. Which, you know, quick prayers out to Rey Mysterio. You know, I'm hoping he's okay. Cough, cough. <laughs> Brock Lesnar, another good example. Like, yeah. he doesn't do the talking, but how cool is it when a guy, I mean, I guess it's a bad example of Seth Rollins because he was a good guy at the time. Whatever. How cool was it when we saw Seth Rollins beat Brock Lesnar for the title? Mm-hmm. Everybody cheered, and I, you know, I remember that WrestleMania when Seth Rollins cashed in, and everybody's like so excited about it. Same thing, you know. You look down, you good versus evil is to me the basis of what professional wrestling has always been about. Yeah, and look, there is flexibility in that. You know, with anything, there is flexibility. And it's okay to have tweener characters, right? Like, that that's okay. Even CM Punk, at the time where he was leaving WWE, it was authentic because he represented a big faction of the fans of WWE and how they felt about the company. He was the anti-hero, just like Stone Cold Steve Austin was the anti-hero. He did a lot of heel shit. It just... He was doing it to the people who we felt deserved it. If he had come out in a singles match against whoever the top babyface was, and I mean babyface because Stone Cold was not a babyface, and he did those cheating tactics, it would have hit a little differently. It's hard to then come out if you do that one week, and then the next week somebody does it to you. I don't really have sympathy for you because you're the asshole who tried it the week before. (laughs) You know, I, I think that... Cody has a point in that the idea that everybody has to be a face or a heel and you have to fit into one of those segments is silly, especially when you're in AW's position where you're introducing characters. I think the fact that FTR hasn't been established as definitive faces or heels yet is a good thing, but we also kind of sense that it's coming, right? Like that, this, the impending sense of doom is kind of what makes the FTR storyline so interesting. You know, I, I think that the Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre thing is really cool, that Drew was clearly the face in the match at Extreme Rules, clearly the face during the feud, but now Dolph Ziggler comes down broken, disheveled, begging him for one more opportunity. He needs this. He doesn't know how he's going to go forward because he knows that he's not going to get another shot at the title. And now all of a sudden you're sitting here and going, wait, who the fuck am I cheering for right now? That's good storytelling. Yeah. That's that's good. It's like, oh, and like I think that's what Cody was trying to say more so... This is my assumption, of course, but I think that's more in line with what Cody was trying to say, where it's like, you don't have to be cookie cutter this or cookie cutter that. You can work within the confines of it while still, you know, blurring the lines. But I also think, you know, that's what makes Drew McIntyre such an appealing champion is, I mean, 
What is he? He's been a face the entire time, but now you're suddenly getting an almost like double turn kind of vibe, and that's exciting. But if you don't build Drew up as this fighting champion who will face anybody at any time, you don't get that effect. You don't get the tease of a double turn. If Bret Hart is not cookie cutter face Bret Hart, moral conduct Bret Hart, doing it by the straight and narrow about... You don't get the double turn with Stone Cold Steve Austin, who was a pure heel going into that match. I think that matters. You know, I, I do. I, I think that Finn Balor was somebody that everybody cheered for because when he turned heel, it was like, finally, this is the version of him that he should have been on the main roster, and he would have been like a three-time world champion by now. But at the same time, when he took Johnny Gargano out and Johnny Wrestling came back a few weeks later, or months later, really, and finally got his pound of flesh, it was it was almost like he re- it was a redeeming moment for fans. Because it's like, yeah, we want Finn Balor to have the success he deserved, but this dude also just took out Johnny when he didn't really have any reason to. And it's like, but you build that up. And I think Cody's right and JR is right. Yeah. I don't think you need cookie cutter this, cookie cutter that. But you need a general idea of what this character is. And I hate to say this, but I think everybody wants to be stone cold and everybody wants to be punk. Everybody wants that freedom. But it's a two-hour show. There are a lot of stories going on. There are a lot of characters in this mix. If everybody gets to be that, you're going to lose momentum really quickly because... It's going to be hard to identify the motivations of each person. And most importantly, it's going to be hard to build up new stars because you don't have the built-in easy ways to do it. And I know easy is not the word that people want to hear, but as far as something like the tag rope or the referee's count or a closed fist or whatever it is, yeah, it's simple stuff. But it's simple stuff that you're going to do at the beginning of the match. It's not going to be the end of your great match. It's going to be what sets the stage for the story that you're about to tell. And it's going to make it a lot easier for you to do it. So you don't have to do a springboard this or a chair shot that just to get the point across. And I think that's what JR is trying to say, unless I'm completely off the off the mark. And that is also very possible. No, I think you're on the money there, you know, and... I'm glad you brought up the fact that, like, everybody wants to be Stone Cold, right? And this is not going to be a knock on anybody in particular. I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, well, John Moxley, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's kind of what the premise of the John Moxley character is, right? Like, a lot of people say, like, he is the AEW version of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Well, again, cool. But do we need – I mean, look – Stone Cold is a once in a generation guy, and if you guys listen to my GOAT episode, or our GOAT, sorry, it's not my show. <laughs> Stone Cold Steve Austin was my GOAT. Yeah. And it's because of the way that he handled his business. You know, everybody fucking loved him, even though, yeah, he did some heel shit, but like everybody knew his intentions, what his intentions were, and Vince McMahon being the ultimate heel, which gives me an episode idea. Well, I'll text you about it later. It's 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 different parallel you know 2020 obviously is a very different year than any year we've ever experienced but in in reference to wrestling you know there's no guy like that anymore no no matter how hard John Moxley tries you know he's not stone cold and 
I'm not picking on John Moxley, of course. I think he's a phenomenal wrestler, phenomenal, you know, great character. But that's what wrestling has become. And again, like the the issue with the with the tag team rope and going back to that, it's not just about the tag team rope, but like heels need rules to break. Not all the time. Mm-hmm. Right? You don't need MJF to cheat in every match, even though you, you could make the claim for MJF to do that. But there's, there's, I liked the point you brought up about, you know, I'm sorry we're going back and forth on all that stuff. But, like, the, the point you made before we re- started recording the call about Dolph Ziggler. Yeah. You know, again, he's clearly a guy that is desperate. Clearly a guy that you, again... You, on Monday, we don't know the stipulation yet for his next championship opportunity, Drew McIntyre. But we're kind of hoping Drew, or yeah, we're kind of hoping Drew kicks Dolph's ass, right? Yeah. And that's good storytelling. And, you know, we bring this up a lot on the podcast and we talk about this all the time, but storytelling is what professional wrestling is all about. Right? Yeah. And I just think that, you know, yeah. Cody and JR both have good ro- good good ropes. Jeez. Good points about this. Yeah. Uh, and look, you know, let, let's cross it over into working the mic. One of my favorite wrestlers, as anybody who listens to the show knows, is Elias. And I understand that Elias isn't everybody's cup of tea. But if you want to just sit here and take preferences and biases and whatever else out of it, objectively speaking... No opinions, no biases. Elias on the mic gets crowds going crazy. That's a factual statement. When he did the thing with the guitar and he did the same thing every week, WWE stands for who wants to walk with Elias, blah, blah, blah. The whole whole thing, the whole spiel. Everybody's cheering, everybody's chanting along, and then he says something about their sports team, and then they're booing. It sounds simple, but it works. Why are you going to go against something that works? I think you're making it more difficult for yourself than you have to. And I think that the idea that people don't want face versus heel is also kind of false. I think that that's a misinterpretation of what's happening. Mm-hmm. I think that you have to look at pop culture, maybe, and which really is the one thing that you should always do with professional wrestling, because that's what wrestling is, a mirror of the world, basically. I think that what you really see is people are now infatuated with the bad guy. Mm-hmm. They're fascinated. That's why we got a movie like Joker. That's why I mean, that's why Joker has always been such a compelling character because nobody knows what the hell his motivations is, and it drives us crazy, and we want to see more. That's why Thanos eliminated half the universe, and everybody's like, "Wow, one of the greatest villains of all time." Because people now appreciate how hard it is to be a great villain. And I think that's a good thing. But I also don't think that means that everybody has to try and be the tweener. Everybody has to be the anti-hero. Because the whole point of the anti-hero is that there is something to rebel against on both sides. So if you don't have the two sides, what are they rebelling against? (laughs) You're just a guy who might cheat tonight and might not cheat tomorrow. And... Yeah, I guess that's how you could describe a heel, but I think the overall, like, I think that when we talk about tropes being dated, as Cody called them, 
I, I don't think the idea of face versus heel is a bad thing. I think that being lazy and falling into just the plain old version of what they're supposed to be, that's dead. You know, you're not going to have another Hulk Hogan. You're probably not even going to have another John Cena. It's just not going to happen. But The Rock would go out and he wouldn't cheat to beat you unless you tried to cheat to beat him. But he could still go on the mic and be a complete dickhead and everybody would laugh. I think there have to be limits to everything. I, I think that, you know, we were looking on Reddit and there was a great discussion on there. We're not going to pretend we didn't look at it because we did. Some of the best points that I saw were talking about the fact that you don't need strictly enforce this. and stri- You don't need to disqualify someone for throwing a closed fist or not holding the tag rope or staying too long in the ring or something. You don't necessarily need to do that to reinforce these rules, but the whole point of the rules is to give people something to operate within and outside of. It's something to give structure to the match, because otherwise it's just people going out there and doing moves, and then someone's going to survive the move and someone's not, and that is entertaining. Uh, Definitely entertaining. But, you know, those rules are what opened the door for people to do things that compel us. Kofi Kingston's entire run to the WWE Championship was based on the fact that he had earned this. And not only had he earned this over 11 years, 11 years without a single shot at the title, 11 years without being even considered for the world title when he's been one of the most popular wrestlers in the world the entire time. It's not just about the 11 years. It's about the fact that after 11 years, he could have easily done what Dolph Ziggler did with him and snapped and tried to cheat and try to win. The whole point of Kofi beating Dolph Ziggler and beating the guy who brutalized him and was willing to take all the shortcuts is to show I did this by playing the game the way you wanted me to play it, and I overcame every obstacle you put in front of me, and you still couldn't stop me, even though in kayfabe and maybe even behind the scenes, they didn't want him to be there. That was the beauty of the story, and let's be honest, it was probably the best storyline of the entire year. Uh, probably the best storyline of the last couple of years. <laughs> yeah. Like that Kofi mania is something that people are going to go back and watch and tell their kids about. And that, that was a moment in wrestling history. And if Kofi Kingston had gone out there and he had cheated and low blowed this and, you know, the new day pulling a Nexus and destroying that, would it have been very interesting? Of course it would have been interesting. I'm not saying it wouldn't have been. My point is they followed the face storyline. They built up genuine sympathy for this figure who, let's be completely real, before mm-hmm. the Elimination Chamber match started, we didn't know which member of New Day was going to be entered. We were all around back then. We were on Reddit, social media, all that. Most people wanted Big E. Let's not forget that. Mm-hmm. Kofi came out and was like, okay, cool. And it wasn't until we saw him tear it the F up in the Elimination Chamber that Kofi Mania started. He had to earn our admiration all over again just to earn this storyline getting to where it ultimately did, where he was the, he wasn't even the underdog. He was the guy that it was just like, how do you root against him? He's doing this the right way. He's not cheating. He has been fed shit for 
a decade plus Mm -hmm. and he is still going out there and going i'll play your game and i'll win your game and then you won't be able to deny me for a single second and look wrestling fans complain about everything so i'm not even going to talk about wrestling fans criticizing his title reign reality is he held that title for six months he had some very interesting storylines with multiple wrestlers he faced a bunch of pure heels and he earned everything that he got he's now a grand slam champion he was already going to be a hall of famer but now he is firmly solidified as a hall of famer his legacy is enhanced immensely because they didn't drift away from the fact that hey Yeah, if you do it right, face versus heel can still be the most compelling story there is because a great face versus heel story is the great story. It's what everybody wants. And yes, there's basic stuff like putting your feet on the ropes during a pin or pulling the tights. Maybe it's been overdone. But you know what? Chris Jericho one of almost everybody's favorite wrestlers, right? We've all, we all love Jericho since WCW doing the whole man of 1001 holds. He's been doing everything. The thing about Jericho, his entire career, including now in AEW is, Oh my God, you can't wait to see someone kick the shit out of him. (laughs) Absolutely. And that's, you know, aside from his name value, obviously I'm pretty sure that's why he became the the first ever AEW champion. Right. Right. It's because you couldn't wait to see you couldn't wait to see who was gonna take it from him. It obviously ended up being John Moxley. And now Moxley's had a pretty successful run as champion for the most part. Again, it sucks with the whole pandemic going on, but he's done with he's done what he's had to do as champion. Yeah. And again, it's a story as old as time. Face versus heel. And you know, I think that's why people I mean, I know that's why people love the fact, like you mentioned, Kofi winning the title in the fashion that he did. It would have been easy to write the fact that, you know, oh, Big E is just going to help me win this match. Boom, done. But it didn't happen that way. Yeah. And that's why John, you know, that's why a guy like John Cena was so successful as a face. It's because he did things his own way. He never cheated to win. I mean, were there some matches where he would... Bend the rules a little bit, sure. But everybody, you know, everybody does it. But he wasn't doing it like Stone Cold was, right? Right. And to to your point, you know, one of the things that, you know, we could all talk about, oh, the way the feud ended and blah, blah, blah. Well, technically, the feud ended this year at WrestleMania. And we would never have gotten the Firefly Funhouse match if not for the fact that if you trace this back a few years, the entire storyline of Bray Wyatt versus John Cena is that Bray Wyatt was obsessed with proving that John Cena could be broken just like anybody else, that he would get the steel chair in his hand and he would slam it over Bray Wyatt's head just like anybody else because Bray Wyatt was pushing him. And look, I get that, oh, you know, Cena this, that was a good story. And when the face prevailed, maybe you didn't want the face to prevail. But guess what? At WrestleMania 36, if you didn't want the face to prevail, you got a whole hell of a lot of closure because we got to revisit that entire story. And I guess my point is, it's like, look, do I think there's a difference between you don't need faces and heels and, hey, wrestling doesn't always know how to use faces. That's for sure. And I think that's really... 
the real debate here is it's like we're tired of seeing the way that faces are presented because it's the same shit over and over again where it's like, I'm the good guy. I'm fighting for good. You're fighting for you. It's like, spice it up. Yeah. But the spiced up face versus heel, I mean, hey, AJ versus The Undertaker, it's compelling. Sorry yeah. to have cut you off. I just... No, no, that... That's that's the per, that's the perfect point to make, you know. And again, we're not we're we're also not saying not every match has to be face versus heel. Obviously, that would create for some not boring. Like faces have to face each other, and so do heels, right? Yeah. But you know, to go back to another point, I think the reason why everybody was so happy that Drew McIntyre won the WWE Championship, besides you know seeing our champion every week. It's because everybody knew, like, okay, coming up, he was literally, he was legitimately the chosen one. Yeah. Vince selected him as his exact words were the chosen one. He yep. didn't succeed in that way. He left WWE for a couple years. He reinvented himself. He got, he came back. He got jacked as shit. Became WWE champion. Like, again, it's a redemption story, and that's why he's one of the bigger faces in profession. He's one of the bigger bigger faces in professional wrestling yeah. you look at a guy like edge who just came back from a big neck injury and you know was he a better heel than he was a face yeah you know you don't you're not a very good face if you're known as the rated r superstar right <laughs> still you come he comes back and you know the feud with orton by the way has just been all you know i mean he's gone now but whatever edge comes back with orton it makes sense and Again, everybody was waiting for Orton to get his ass kicked. Yeah. But, I mean, right, you know, I'm just going to say it right now. Nobody wants to see Big Show kick Orton's ass. I digress. There's so many stories. Like, it's a tale as old as time. Is that how the saying goes? Yep. Bad guys versus good guys. And that, that's really all we want, right? Like, we want to see. We, we don't always want to see good prevail because that's not how the world works. But. Mm -hmm. But does that make me cynical? <laughs> uh, not too much. Maybe I'm a piece of shit, but like, I'd like to see. Okay, like going, but you know, I'd Mustafa Ali, another good example. Good guy. Does all the right things. I'm pretty sure he's getting fed up, right, with not getting the opportunities that other guys are getting, and maybe that's what's gonna cause a heel turn, and it's gonna be, it's gonna make sense. But you. To me, keep a guy like that as a face because, again, you, you're kind of lacking in that department, right? Yeah. I know that's and kind I, of off topic, but... No, no. You, you know, I, I think that one of the nice things about what Cody said, pairing up with what Jim Ross said, is maybe sometimes when, you know, AEW is kind of at a point now where it's like they have a big roster, Right. Like that, that's a big roster for one weekly two hour show. And I know they have dark as well. So I, yes, I give them that, but you have a big roster. You have a lot of tag teams, you know, you have a lot of singles competitors. Does every single person need to be classified as face or heel? No, of course not. It's okay. If you have some wrestlers who toe the line and are unidentified tweeners who then go out, you know, that's fine. I, I agree with that. Because that makes it so the actual faces and actual heels stand out a little bit more. 
in saying that, if you are going to build somebody up, you can really count on one hand the number of actually effective tweeners in the history of wrestling. Mm-hmm. It's rare, you know, and, you know, Hiroshi Tanahashi in New Japan Pro Wrestling, obviously one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. One of the beautiful things about his gimmick is that he wanted to be the light in the dark because everybody in New Japan started doing the thing that they're doing in American wrestling, you know, in the early 2010s, late 2000s, where everybody wanted to be a bad guy, you know, because being a bad guy was cool. And now you have Tanahashi, who's kind of sticking to his, you know, guns, kind of like John Cena. I'm the good guy. I'm going to stay like this. Maybe it was a little divisive. Maybe he doesn't get the same respect that Okada gets now. I think that's fair to say. And I think Tanahashi is borderline underrated when you consider where he should be. But that, again, another conversation for another day. Reality is, it's like that character became so appealing because it was, you know what to expect. Every time he comes out, this is Hiroshi Tanahashi. This is who he is. So when the bad guy AJ Styles and Bullet Club come in, you're rooting for Tanahashi, even though you love AJ Styles. When Okada comes back and you're like, who the hell is this kid? He's so cocky, so arrogant. You're rooting for Tanahashi. Same thing with whoever he faces. I mean, he he faced Kenny at Wrestle Kingdom, and there were people rooting for Tanahashi. Even at, you know, what was he, 43, going on 43 years old with bum knees? You know, it, it works. You know, Jay White, everybody, hindsight is 2020, right? But, you know, Jay White, when he first rose to prominence and he won the IWGP heavyweight title, and everybody sat there and went, what the hell are you talking about? Right? Like, no way did he just beat Tanahashi. Too soon. Too soon. Yeah. Fast forward a year and a half, and Jay White is universally recognized as one of the best heels in professional wrestling. But you took that chance. I mean, you know, spoiler alert, if you haven't checked New Japan in two weeks... Evil. Just turn on LIJ, turn on Tetsuya Naito, who basically elevated his status in New Japan Pro Wrestling and is now a double, well, technically a triple champion because he's IWGP heavyweight, intercontinental, and the never open weight six man tag team champion, currently with two members of LIJ. So that's awkward. Um, but there. that heel turn, it, it, it meant something because. I think what Cody was alluding to is kind of the New Japan structure where it's like you don't really have identifiable heels and faces. I mean, I I think you do, but I think that you also have people like Ishii's a dick, but you love that dude. Like, because he's not a heel, he's not cheating. He's just an asshole. You ever listen to his promos? He's a dick. It's like... But you cheer for him because in the ring, it's like, okay, but he doesn't cheat. So I, I agree with blurring the lines, but I think what Jim Ross was getting to, and let's, I guess, circle back to this so we can <laughs> give structure to my rant. Um, no, it makes complete fucking sense, and don't you stop because I'm not stopping you. I love you. Right. But, you know, JR's whole point is, again, to quote him, you need shortcuts to gain an unfair advantage. It's just common sense. It is basic human instincts. This plays out in the world on a daily basis. They're forget about celebrities and movie, the world, 
people get arrested for corporate espionage and people get do oh my god can you believe this and then whistleblowers and you know people coming forward with me too and things and speaking out wow they're brave this is amazing that's face versus heel in the real world it happens in real life so why are we going to pretend it's impossible to happen in an athletic realm where mixed martial arts plays that up that was the whole point of someone like conor mcgregor let's be real conor mcgregor came out and he was polarizing and he talked his shit and people went wow i either want to see that dude get knocked the fuck out or go knock somebody out it was compelling John Cena, there are still people who sit here and go, well, you know, it's BS because, you know, they should have turned him heel. He was so, he could have been a great heel. But, but he was a heel because there are so many people in the world who viscerally hated him, more so than they ever would if he what? Hit you with a low blow before he won the title? <laughs> That's it? When Daniel Bryan turned heel and kicked AJ Styles in the nuts and beat him few days before survivor series it wasn't surprising because someone cheated to win a title it was surprising because the most over baby face in all of professional wrestling turned heel without any inclination that he was going to do so these things matter because they help drive stories not just in the short term but the long term once you've turned heel or turned face you can do whatever the hell you want i guess but those moments where someone actually does it, I mean, does it even matter if it doesn't, if they weren't anything identifiable before? Scenic views. Oh, edit that out. Um, you know, does it matter? Don't. Fuck it, don't. No, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you if you don't know anything about somebody in professional wrestling and then they come out and they do something dastardly, you're just going to assume that that's who they are and who they've always been. If someone debuts on a show and they do something heel, you're going to say that dude's a heel. If you actually build up some level of, wow, I care about this wrestler, oh, that's different. And yeah. that, I think, is the point that JR is making, is it's like, when you eliminate the rules, you eliminate the easiest ways to get yourself over as whatever it is that you are, even if you are a tweener. If The tag rope, yeah, the tag rope was just an example, and it's clearly something he's passionate about, but it's just an example. But let's say there is a tag rope. If you actually enforce someone holding that tag rope, every time they let go of it and do something as simple as, you know, the knee between the ropes into their back, that's going to get genuine heat every time they let go of the rope to try and do something that's going to get heat it's at least going to get you to perk up and go oh what are they doing and from there you can do whatever it is that you do these wrestlers today are incredible the best athletes wrestling has ever seen the most creative moves wrestling has ever seen but i think jr's point is you guys are selling and not only you guys men and women you're selling yourself short if you remove these easy tools to be successful in the eyes of a crowd that might not be inherently into what you do. AEW is an incredible product, but there's a reason why probably the best American pure wrestling show is not generating a million views. You can chalk a little bit of that up to the pandemic. Everything is down across the board. Yep. I get that. 
not denying that. So let, let's let's throw a million out and just say that's an arbitrary number. It's meaningless. But there's a reason why they're not dominating in the ratings like they're capable of, and that's because there are a lot of professional wrestling fans, but there are more sports entertainment fans. There are more old-school fans. So when everybody goes, oh, the 18 to 49 demo is what it's all about, Maybe it is, because maybe those are the people that are spending money on your products. For AEW, you know, I imagine that that's something that they've looked into with something like Pro Wrestling Tees and the sales they get and how many people, what the age range is of the people buying those shirts. Bear and I are in our late 20s, going on 30. We use Pro Wrestling Tees more often than we use WWE.com. That's an admission that I'm willing to make. We're both wearing... Yeah. Right now, we're both wearing Pro Wrestling Tees shirts. Right now. Yeah, I'm wearing a Lucha Bros shirt. and I'm uh, wearing an Alex Shelley shirt because I'm a fucking Mark. An Impact Wrestling Tag Team Champion shirt, you mean to say. Um, Just wait, that episode's coming, motherfuckers. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I, I think the point is just as simple as, you know, you can go out there and do awe-inspiring shit, and pe- you're going to get over to some extent with it. But you have to be aware of the fact that, oh, this product isn't for this person and that person. That's going to be true at the end of the day of everything, right? Wrestling or not. But there is a big population of wrestling fans who care about these things. And you may call them silly and you may call them stupid. But it's not just about getting their approval. It's about, dude... You have a built-in way to get heat with these people on a level that will make them watch your product and not turn it off. Why would you shy away from that? That's more money in everybody's pocket. That's more people at shows. That's more opportunities for more wrestlers. And that's a better product because every city you go to, you're going to sell out. And those little things may seem silly. But guess what? Shawn Michaels didn't have very many moves. Bret Hart didn't have very many moves. Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock and Triple H, they didn't have very many moves. Don Cena was known as the five moves of doom, for fuck's sake. Yes, but those guys are some of the most over-popular and profitable wrestlers in the history of the industry. Hulk Hogan didn't have that many moves. Randy Savage was incredible, but he didn't have that many moves. He wasn't Ricky Steamboat. But the reason that matchup worked, the reason all of those careers were so astronomically successful is because they understood the value of doing the little things, the fundamental things that whether they thought people should care about them or not, people Mm -hmm. did care about. And they played to that so that when it was time for them to do whatever it is that they want to do in the ring, they've set the stage and they've suckered people in. To me, if you, I think what JR's point is, if you walk away from these easy opportunities to get heels heat and faces sympathy, you're making this way more difficult for yourself than you need to. I can't possibly add more to that than what you, <laughs> because again, like you, that's that's exactly it. And again, it's not just about the tag rope. The tag rope was an example. Both JR and Cody have valid points. Yeah. And pro wrestling, as far back as it goes, and again, Brian mentioned it, guys like Hulk Hogan, Triple H, John Cena, The Undertaker, all those guys, you know, 
and you look at the current roster right now, guys like The Miz, guys like Mustafa Ali, guys like Tommaso Ciampa, that's the basis of their successes. Knowing, knowing your character, how to make how to make it profitable, and in turn, it's gonna make everybody money, like you said, right? Yeah. And I think that's probably you know I we probably should have ended it with what you said, but let's take it home, right? <laughs> no, buddy, I love listening to you talk. I love doing this podcast. I love everybody who listens. I know that's a lot of love, but the world could use it right now. So I'm sending it out there. And uh, that's that's just that we love all of you. Maybe not all of you. Most of you. We love most of you. And that's the bottom line because Peter Avalon said so. Or Lucky Cannon. We haven't Lucky. actually mentioned him in a while. We are failing Jared. Jared, if you're listening, we're sorry. If you're not, we hate you. For everybody else who did listen, you guys are awesome. I'm going to text him right Girls now. Girls are awesome. This episode. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you are amazing. You make this, I mean, it's already worth doing, but you make it so much more enjoyable for all of us. Um, we miss crowds, but. Yeah. I can't wait to, like, when the, the first show that comes back, like, Ugh. to arenas, like, it's I'm broke. Don't get me wrong, I'm broke, but I'm going to make it work. We're going to fucking go to shows. Yep. We're going to fly. Probably not. We're going to drive if my car can take it. We're going to do what we can, just like everybody else. And now that we're rambling, let us wrap this up and say thank you all for listening. As always, if you agree with what we have to say, let us know. Maybe you have a thought on this that we haven't had, so we can revisit this topic and take it a little further. If you disagree, we are very sensitive people. Don't hurt our feelings. But on a serious note, if you disagree... Go on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. The fancy guy at the end will tell you how to do that. Let us know. Tell us that you think we're idiots. Tell us that you think we're smart, but we got it wrong. Whatever you want to do, we can take it. I mean, we'll cry a little bit, but we can take it for the most part. And uh, Brian can take it. I can't. Yes, that is, that is quite true. You should see our text. Um, it's true. <laughs> but no, on a serious note, thank you all for listening and uh i guess the only thing left to say is keep on loving professional wrestling take it away fancy guy we paid to do the outro <laughs> you've been listening to heel turns and headlocks with bear de julio and brian Lapray. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll be back soon with more. But until then, reach out on Facebook at Heel Turns and Headlocks, on Twitter at Heel underscore Turns underscore Pod, and on Instagram at Heel Turns and Headlocks. We'll see you next time.